Welcome to a special season of Napkin Scribbles, a podcast by Arthur and Professor Leonard Sweet. This season, Professor Sweet and Portland Seminary of George Fox University is proud to present Sex in the Sacred. Can faith be sexy? Join Professor Sweet as he scribbles out his formative thoughts on central orthodoxy. This season, the listener and the learner will get an intimate view on how an idea is conceived into a project and then midwifed into a book. We hope you enjoy this special season of Napkin Scribbles. This feature of Jesus Hot, you can call it the shapely bride or more vividly, the cleavaged bride. I'm not sure what I should, if I do, if this ever does become a book, I'm not sure whether people can handle that word cleavage, but let me, you might wanna help me out here and let me know what you think. But here's what I mean by it. The original meaning of cleavage has nothing to do with blossomy bosoms um, that you kind of associate with, I I do at least, uh, from the era of Hollywood, like Jane Mansfield. Um, um, I'll never forget the story of she once tried to smuggle two chihuahuas through customs at Heathrow Airport, each one hidden in one of her um, uh, bosoms. The word cleave yokes two meanings at the same time. It means to bring together and to keep apart. So cleavage is another name for the art of seduction, which is to bring together, but to keep apart. From which comes all reproductive, creative, generative progeny. Creativity is built into the cosmos, right down to the secret of life itself, the double helix, which is a complexio oppositorum, the the bringing together of opposites into relationship, the sine qua non of all creativity and all life itself. Created to be God's image, God's echo, humanity is poised at the edge of of an emerging universe, which is oriented towards the future with all of its perils and all of its possibilities. That is why baptismal fonts were often carved in vaginal form. And they did this purposely because at your baptism, your church was mothering you and birthing you in the faith. That is also why the Christian tradition has been so generative and imaginative and innovative across the spectrum of of creative activity, whether you're talking about painting, music, sculpture, literature, dance, In his memoir, A Scots Song, the world's greatest living Christian composer, Sir James Macmillan, calls for, and I'm quoting here, the reassessment and recognition of the potency of a culture with Christ very much at its origin and center, and a joyous sense of wonder at everything that has flowed from it in centuries of music making. He can't even get over the incredible fertileness and productivity and reproductivity of this Christian tradition in terms of its arts. And that's partly because of this cleavaged bride. In Christianity, there are always dual poles of reference. Now, Christianity does inherit this from Judaism, where the true nature of God is both singular and plural, 
we often forget that the, the ancient, in ancient Hebrew, the one God, Elohim, is plural. plural. So one God, Elohim, plural, Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. And where the Talmud blesses contradictions with these words, both of these are the living words of the living God. St. Gregory of Nyssa argued that the design, the design of the universe, with all the simultaneous creation of heaven and earth, built into creation itself a concurrence of the opposites. And that built into the very essence of the cosmos was this concurrence of the opposites, his phrase, stability and motion, substance and spirit. And that bringing together of the opposites into relationship was the source of creativity itself. So Christianity brings to opposites together like the humble confidence of the abs. Not to dissolve or resolve them in some via media, but to bring all the contradictions of existence into fulfillment in Christ. Christ bears in himself, in finem, to the end, all the oppositions, all the contradictions of life, the sufferings and splendors of human existence through the dark days and the light years of love. So this collocation of difference is the secret door that opens up all creativity. I cannot emphasize how important this is to the incredible imagination and creativity of the Christian tradition. Uh, the shadow of the cross is a paradox, not a plus, but a paradox. The paradox is often called the heart or the center of orthodoxy. Historian Arthur Schlesinger Jr. coined the phrase the vital center to describe a planetary pathway to a global future. It was his phrase. But writing in Slate magazine in the late 1990s, he warned that the metaphor was being misused by domesticating it, middling it, making the focus more on middles than on margins and thus depolarizing it. In my view, he said, the middle of the road is definitely not the vital center. It is the dead center. So he was repenting, if you will, of this metaphor that he himself had fomented that the key to the future is to keep to the center. No, the key to the future is to bring, to live out of the opposites. We are both at the same time saint and sinner. Jesus is both lion and lamb. We are to be as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove, both at the same time cleave to the opposites. To be a follower of Jesus is to learn bilingual dreams, to dream both human and divine dreams, because it takes the divine to be human. That's the ultimate paradox of the incarnation. You can't be human without the divine. Jesus didn't come from heaven to show us how to be divine. Jesus came from heaven to show us how to be human. Dream as though you would live forever. Live as though you would die today. Orthodoxy is paradoxy. The electricity that comes from holding the ends together and not letting them go is what makes orthodoxy so sensual, so sexy. In the overlap of the opposing circles is the mandorla. This is the sweet spot and dance floor of life. The mandorla, the almond-shaped aureole that often enclose medieval representations of Mary 
resembles a vulva, the open arch and long narrow interior or Gothic architecture with musically pounding processionals represent the continuing divine penetration of Mary's virginal body so that new life can be born in the body of Christ and new incarnations of divine presence conceived every time the body of Christ gathers. This was actually part of the design of cathedrals. It wasn't something we look back on. This is what they strove to accomplish in that architecture itself. Now, some call this juxtaposition of opposites a creation of tension. It is true all great drama comes from the creation of tension. All great audiences follow in the wake of interest in resolving such tension. When two main characters finally act on their high-wire tensile attraction for one another, there's a high viewership for the wedding or breakup. But after that, guess what? The show is soon off the air. You, you need the tension to sustain interest. So you can't have a sexy style without the cleavage of tradition and innovation. Every style entails simulation and staging, both of which implies tradition. You're taking something that someone has done before, you, tradition, and either adopting it, adapting it, and mixing and matching it with your own twists and turns. That's combining tradition and innovation, which is the essence of true originality. Tradition is inescapable unless it's ex nihilo, and the only one who creates ex nihilo out of nothing is God. What already exists, tradition, is played with in a new way. That's why tradition is inherent in any style. The old can either become old-fashioned or old fogish, or it can become primed, well-timed, advanced, aged, tempered, seasoned. There's a certain dated dignity and tattered charm to the old-fashioned and unfashionable. Besides, one cannot escape the presence of the old, in new, in Jesus' new, old, ancient, future style. So Jesus' followers have a unique aesthetic. Not an aesthetic of things as they are, but an aesthetic of things as they are not. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The Jesus style always has one eye on the future. Not seeing to fit in, but to fit together and to fit forward, as my colleague Vern Hinman would have it. In the Mandorla sweet spot of dancing opposites are life's pleasure zones. The issue of please and pleasure is a hard one for a culture that objectifies everyone and everything. Objectification reduces people to body parts and doesn't look at the whole person. In the dance floor of pleasure, we find the joy of pleasing God, pleasing each other, pleasing ourselves. English novelist Ian McEwan observed how literary critics, and these are his words and his quote, can never really encompass the fact that some things are on the page because they gave the writer pleasure. Ever wonder that about God? Maybe some things are here just because God took pleasure in creating them. Um, some theologians and Christians can't understand that maybe some things are, are here because they just gave the Creator pleasure. Maybe you're here because you give the Creator 
pleasure. If you want to go through life with the love of God in your depths and the romance of the Spirit stirring in your spirit, you need a consciousness of God's pleasure. And that is what is most often found in the pleasure zones of the Spirit. Those who live in and live out the life of Christ are less interested in showing something or telling something than in the pleasure of giving others the feeling of what it is like to be alive. And where that aliveness is found in Christ. The call to holiness has a specific address. But it goes out to all disciples of Jesus. It is not just addressed to some, but to all. Holiness is not perfection. Holiness is pleasuring in God's pleasure at how we enjoy God's treasures of life and each other. Holiness is a drawing nearer to the cross, a nearness which enables us not just to withstand, but to stand against the horrors that thrum away at every heart and unfold through every life. Holiness is not something we are weathered into by life's pain and suffering. Holiness is receiving life as it comes, not taking the fall, taking the fifth, or taking umbrage at the unfairness of it all. Holiness is divine lovemaking something we delight and dance into, even in the midst of imperfections, duress, and distress. Or let me end with the words of a Facebook friend, John Haberlin. Holiness is not about getting better at keeping divine commandments. Holiness is about getting better at enjoying God and pleasing God. Thank you for joining us on this special season of Napkin Scribbles. To join the conversation, make sure you look us up on Facebook and Twitter at Napkin Scribbles. This week's Napkin Scribble is brought to you by Portland Seminary of George Fox University. For more information, join them on the web at portlandseminary.org. For Arthur and Professor Leonard Sweet, happy scratching and scribbling.